Hey, Thaddeus here from Theotivity. I just wanted to give a quick video with uh, five of my top recommendations of books that you should read if you've not read yet. These are books uh, that have blessed me uh, immensely in terms of thinking through some topics that are very important. These are books that are focused on some very practical theology and areas of public theology that I think often are really neglected and that a lot of Christians need to do a little bit more thinking intentionally about how the Bible equips us to think properly and act properly in these areas. So in no particular order, these are going to be my five top recommendations of books that you should read and make it, you know, maybe add it to your Goodreads list or your goal for reading for this next year. The Theotivity Podcast. Theotivity is the place where theology and creativity come together. Here you'll find audio narration of articles, episodes exploring the faith, culture, the arts and media, systematic theology, apologetics, guest interviews with Christian thinkers, creatives, pastors, theologians, and much more. At Theotivity.com, you'll find articles and resources to help you grow in your faith, as well as a portfolio of creative works. Like, share, and subscribe to stay up to date on the latest content. Without any delay, first one up is going to be this one, Family Shepherds by Dr. Vodi Bakum. You can see it here, right? Great book, really practical, um, very important for men, especially. The subtitle is Calling and Equipping Men to Lead Their Homes. I took this, uh, my small group, through this book, and it was really, really, really practical. Very good, um, you know, in terms of expositing the Bible's view of male leadership in the home and why men should be the shepherds for their families. And uh, it goes through in, I think it's four different parts. Uh, first part is the need to equip family shepherds. Second part is family discipleship and evangelism. So how the family's discipleship actually affects our uh, perception and um, uh, fulfillment of evangelism as, as Christians. And how that should look in terms of using, um, you know, the gospel and how do you proclaim it at home to your family and to your kids, your wife, right? And um how you use catechism in Christian education and those sorts of things. And then also the place of family worship, a very neglected thing. Uh, part three is on marriage enrichment. So important uh, for men to lead their homes is to have healthy marriages where you're loving your wife as Christ loved the church. So good, that section. And then the last section is training and, and discipling of children, right? Equipping men to raise kingdom-minded warriors. I love that. This That was a really good um, section. It, it It gets into the effects of sin and how that should um, affect how we think about raising kids. You know, they're, they're born with a sinful nature and we need to keep that in mind as men. Uh, he talks about formative discipleship and then and discipline and also corrective discipline. That's often a topic that's not talked about a lot, right? Um, when last have you heard a sermon uh, talking about how you should discipline your children, biblically speaking? This is a good book on that, you know, gets into uh, some controversial topics, but really shouldn't be controversial. Bible is very clear on uh, how we should approach discipline. So this is a great book to pick up. Family Shepherds by Dr. Vodi Bakum. That's my first recommendation. Second recommendation is going to be this one by Dr. Joseph Boot, Ruler of Kings, Ruler of Kings, right? Um, the subtitle to this one is Toward a Christian Vision of Government. Now, um, if you've not been living under a rock for the past uh, three years, let's say, with the pandemic and all of that stuff, you know, these questions of how should Christians think about government and its role and what is its proper place, that's a huge issue, huge topic that a lot of churches, and I think a lot of Christians realize that, whoa, 
we've not really thought about this, right? This is an excellent resource on that. Challenging one to read. I'm sure that many people who read it may not fully agree with everything in it, but you know what? One of the ways that you grow is by reading things that you may not fully um, agree with 100%. And it's a helpful and a healthy way to challenge yourself to think biblically, especially from thinkers as deep as Dr. Boot, uh, who is really using all of scripture and a biblical worldview to start to apply to this particular realm of politics and government, and how we should think about it. Uh, this book is so good. Like if you were to look through this, like you'd see all my highlights and how many things I've I've just like bookmarked and 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 so on. I actually want to read a couple of quotes from this because it's so um, powerful. And I think it's one of those books that I'm going to come back to. So um, check this out on page 80. Uh, Boot says this, that uh, so he's talking here about how nations are obligated to basically serve the Lord. Now, that's a concept that that can be a little bit controversial, right? The whole topic of Christian nationalism or not, whether Christian you know nations can actually even be Christian. But Boot says this, this also implies that nations are ultimately obligated by God to be Christian. He cites Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Isaiah 42, and Philippians 2 for that. Um, no one nation has authority to impose God's law word upon another nation. Very important because a lot of times that's mischaracterized in that way, right? That you're going to uh, impose like a dictatorship of Christianity. Um, so he says that no um, nation has the authority to impose God's law word upon another nation. For the king of kings himself, in whom is vested all authority in heaven and on earth, is building his kingdom in all nations through the gospel witness of his people in all of life. This principle clearly involves respecting the legitimate authority of other nations to exist, establish their own laws, and follow their customs and traditions without being coerced by more powerful nations or globalist bodies to bow before a planetary regime of international laws. That's super important. The idea of sovereign nations is a biblical idea, and he unpacks that more in this book. Um, and that presses against our current trend towards globalism. We're going to cover that in the podcast uh, a little bit more. But globalism is a threat to the biblical ideal of, of nationhood. Um, Boot continues here. He says, globalism as utopian ideology reflects in part a deep religious hunger and an urge towards the unity and peace of the human race. The problem is that it seeks to accomplish this in an idolatrous way, distorting the cultural mandate. The biblical vision is that all nations, by the work and witness of the gospel, will find true unity despite their diversity in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. When humanity acts in terms of its own pretended autonomy and authority to build a global empire, it robs human society of the liberating reality of true freedom, harmony, and peace that can only be realized in and through the gospel of the kingdom. And that's a huge topic in this book as well. He picks up the whole idea that this gospel that we believe in, it's not just a gospel of Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior, in your heart of hearts, and you know that's where it stays. This is a gospel of a kingdom. And what's a kingdom without a king? And what's a king without a reign and a rule, right? Um, that has implications, even to civil government. Um, I want to read another quote here. That he says, you know, uh, regarding that, about the gospel being more than just about accepting Jesus into your heart. He says on page 104, Christians must resist the inward turn that would privatize our faith. It is not sufficient to simply affirm a personal faith in Christ existing between one's ears. We must take an open, public, and uncompromising stand with Christ and the truth of the gospel, which compels us to openly worship in thought, word, and deed the living God and reject all false worldviews with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This requires refusing a pietistic reaction 
to the direction of culture which resigns itself to the status quo. A pietistic response implicitly accepts secularism's false division of reality into public and private, secular and sacred, reason or science and faith, and thereby acquiesces to a radically limited role in the world for Christ and the gospel. So true today is so much pietism in the church that just resigns our Christian faith just our hearts and in our heads or our private Christian, you know, uh, quiet times uh, at home in, you know, and it never gets out into the public sphere, especially not in the public sphere in, t- in terms of like politics and so on. You know, politics is dirty is the, 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 the type of catchphrases that you hear, but that's not true. Right? All of life is under the Lordship of Christ and all of it should be submitted to him. So even the realm of civil government should be submitted to Christ. Um, and, you know, Boot goes on to, to expound that more in this book. And like I said, yeah, you know, this might challenge you in some really healthy ways, especially if you've grown up in a church culture that has taken that sort of retreatist or pietistic approach to outside culture and even thought of it in terms of neutral uh, spheres or in terms of being a secular sphere that's apart from the Lordship of Christ. You know, you have the secular sphere and then you have the sacred sphere and the sacred sphere is a church and all of those things that go along with the ecclesiastical church. Uh, this book is a good, um, you know, pushback on that. I'll, I'll read one last quote here before we move on to the next book. On page 118, he says, and this is in, in, in speaking to this concept that, you know, Christians tend to think of doctrine and theology only as regarding spiritual truths, right? That have to do perhaps only with the ecclesiastical sphere. And Boot expands this in terms of, you know, if Christian doctrine, the Bible speaks to all of life, then even this idea of heresy has to apply not just in the church, but also in areas outside the church. So he says, but what we frequently fail to recognize are the implications of heretical ideas and teachings as they impinge upon life outside of the institutional church. This oversight is serious because if we ecclesiasticize the concept of heresy and regard false belief and teaching as having relevance only for the life of the church, we will fail to see how heretical thought profoundly affects other vitally important spheres of life, including the political. In fact, what we believe about Christ's authority and sovereignty actually has far-reaching implications for political life and thought. That's so true, right? Uh, A lot of people don't realize that when the church acquiesced and just gave all authority to the state to do whatever it wanted, that was an issue of uh, heresy because it was denying the lordship of Christ in all spheres, including the political sphere. Um, Boot goes on to say that there, in reality, that there are times when heretical thinking is only clearly brought to light outside the ecclesiastical sphere where religion is externalized in the rest of life. And that's true. Sometimes, you know, people would say, yeah, of course, Christ is Lord. You know, Christ is King. Jesus is King. But then, you know, it's not until you step outside the church sphere that you see whether or not what they said is really true, whether they really meant that in all areas of life. Is Christ just Lord of your own little heart and King of your own little church? Or is he actually King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? Um, This means that sincere Christians within a confessing church community may believe themselves to be essentially orthodox as far as the essential tenets of the faith are concerned, while at the same time holding to a radical, progressive, liberal, democratic, or even Marxist view of cultural and political life for the public public space, frequently without ever recognizing a basic contradiction with their confession. In short, the ecclesiasticized confession of faith has not been mediated or contextualized to cultural and political life 
through a scriptural worldview in a systematic and coherent way. And wow, that's so true. That's exactly what we've been living through um, for a long time now um, in the West, I think. And this, this book is a great read. I think it'll be challenging for a lot of people in good ways. Uh, I really highly recommend this one. Now, a good companion to this book, this is not part of the five, but would be this one, especially if you live in Canada. This is called A Christian Citizenship Guide. This is the second edition. It's about Christianity and Canadian politics political life. Uh, this book is written to the Canadian context. It's really great. It's put out by ARPA Canada, and you can get it for a donation to ARPA. They are a Christian reformed political action group um, that does some really good work in Canada. And if you're a Canadian and you've not really dug into how your faith should affect how you think about politics and government, this is an excellent resource to pick up. Um, the authors go through and give you a whole bunch of case studies as well as like unpacking some of the theology in terms of how you should think about uh, politics according to scripture. They talk about, you know, even political action and activism. What's the role of that for a Christian? How should we think about that? How should we conduct ourselves? It also gets into the idea of sphere sovereignty, that God has created all of these independent spheres that interrelate, that do um, touch one another, but are separate and meant to be kept distinct. So the church sphere the family sphere, the government sphere, and the business. There's all these different spheres that God has created. And there's this concept of sphere sovereignty. This book is excellent in unpacking that. Highly recommend it to you. Even if you're not a Canadian, you would benefit from reading this. It's so well written. Anyways, moving on in the list. The third book that I recommend is R.C. Sproul. Such a great writer. R.C. Sproul, The Last Days According to Jesus. This is the old edition. The new edition has a different cover. But this book Excellent one if um, you've never really dug into uh, eschatology in a meaningful way. Uh, it's particularly if you've never um, considered the fact that like some of the prophecies that a lot of people think are still future may have already been fulfilled, right? Um, particularly like you look at passages like Matthew 24 that deal with, you know, the great tribulation. This book is excellent in unpacking this by a trusted um, you know, Bible teacher, Last Days According to Jesus by R.C. Sproul. He gets into a lot of the book um, deals with the Olivet Discourse, so Matthew 24, and related passages on that. And just unpacking from, from the Bible and from history, especially how, you know, some of those things are fulfilled and how that should affect how we think about the last days. There's so much confusion about the last days these days, um, especially uh, post-COVID and so on. So many people thought it was, you know, end of the world sort of thing. And I think this is a great book to read. I'll just go through some of the things that he covers. You know, he covers, like I said, um, the world in Matthew 13. He, he covers the nearness of the last days to the apostles. How did the first century church and the apostles think about the last days? And that, that whole reference that we tend to read and think that it only refers to us. But no, they had a first century context, right? Uh, he gets into some of the timing of um, the time frame references in Revelation. And, uh, you know, a little bit more about the the interpretation of different passages within Revelation. Uh, he talks about partial preterism and about the Antichrist and about different millennial views. This is a really well-written book um, that I think will challenge a lot of people in a good way. And eschatology, listen, uh, it's not a defining uh, doctrine for sure, meaning it's not a primary doctrine. It, you know, if you differ on eschatology, it doesn't mean that you're out of the kingdom, but it's not an unimportant one. It has some practical import. So this is a great book. Check it out. Fourth book, Fault Lines by Vodi Bauckham, right? So Fault Lines, 
the social justice movement and evangelicalism's looming catastrophe. I got to pre-read this book before print and it was so good. It is so good. Much needed book um, for our day where social justice and critical theory is sleeping, see, sleeping, seeking, seeping into the church. Uh, this book unpacks that uh, a lot better than I can do right now. I've done a bunch of podcasts and episodes and articles and, you know, heavily used uh, a lot of things from this book. Um, really good, well-written by an excellent author, great communicator. He unpacks the importance of Christians understanding the difference between social justice and biblical justice, between true racial justice and the false critical social, critical race theory and uh, social justice sort of things that go on in our society. A lot of people today are having to go through ES, um, ESG training and DEI training and all these sorts of woke ideologies. Uh, this book is a good introduction into some of those things and also how it's starting to infiltrate and already has infiltrated a lot of the evangelical church. Um, this book is really well written. Can't recommend it enough. Bodhi Bakum, Fault Lines. If you haven't read it, check it out. He also has a video series on this. So if you're more of an uh, auditory or visual learner, you can also check that out through Salem. Uh, but definitely check that out. Last one that I'm going to recommend here before we close this, this video is how Christianity Changed the World by Alvin Schmidt. Right, so this is one, this one, I'm trying to give a good variety in these, these choices. This one's more of a history book. Now, I know most people will, will hear history and be like, oh, so boring, right? But this is, this is actually a really great read. Um, so this book is actually going to unpack for you how a lot of the um, things about our modern Western societies and the prosperity even in the West, in America, in Europe, etc., is actually straight from Christendom, from how Christianity has changed the world in so many different ways. And, you know, we take it for granted. We think that a lot of these things that we take for granted today, such as freedom, right, human rights, dignity, all those sorts of things, we think that, oh, that's just the way people always thought. But you look back in time into, you know, history before Christendom, before Christianity really exploded and so on, and you see a lot of barbarism. You actually see uh, a very uncivilized sort of uh, way of life. You look at the Romans, for example, the ancient Romans and the Greeks and just how barbaric a lot of the aspects of their civilization were prior to Christianity. So this author gets into, you know, the sanctification of, of human life, how the sanctity of human life was one of the things that Christianity um, blessed humanity with, blessed the world with, the elevation of sexual morality, uh, the elevation of women and freedom and dignity for women, you know, Back in the day, in more patriarchal societies, in a you know in a bad patriarchy kind of way, uh, women were really truly oppressed. Now, not the type of you know fake oppression that sometimes is claimed today uh, by a lot of you know woke feminists, let's say, but there was serious true oppression of women and a, a, a devaluing of women as not seeing them as actually equal, and that's not true biblically. And it was actually the biblical Christian faith that elevated women to their status as equal image bearers with men, right? Um, it talks about charity and compassion, how that was a Christian thing that really flourished. Hospitals and healthcare, have you ever noticed how many hospitals are named Saint whatever, or have Christian names to them? Well, there's a reason for that, right? Uh, it came from the Christian worldview. It talks about the Christian influence on education, on economic freedom, on science, on liberty and justice, on slavery, uh, Christianity's stamp on art and architecture on music and um, on literature, right? So many things that Christianity has um, blessed the world with because why? 
it is the true religion. It's the religion that brings true beauty and flourishing. And if you're a Christian and you've never heard of all of these blessings that and how Christianity has been used by God to transform the world and how he's continuing to do that, this is a great book. This is a really great book. And for those people who have a pessimistic view of history, I think this is a great book to read because you'll see over the past 2000 years what God has done and that we've actually seen a lot of progress. Um, if you compare where the church started in, you know, the, the first century to where it is today. I know things, you know, sometimes can, can seem a bit depressing, but this is a great book to read and give you some, some historical, you know, lenses to, to put things into perspective. I think sometimes we can think just looking myopically at our, our time only. I think it's the worst time in, the, in history. Uh, really is not, right? Um, and that's a good book for some perspective. Anyways, those are my five book recommendations. Uh, I'll leave links in the description, but check them out. Hopefully they'll bless you as they've blessed me. Till next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Thanks for listening to the Theotivity Podcast. If you found this content helpful or edifying, please leave a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, follow us on social media and consider sharing this episode to help Theotivity reach others as well. Check out Theotivity.com for resources, info on how to support, and subscribe to our monthly newsletter to stay up to date on all the latest content. Until next time, live and create to the glory of God.